Amen. You can be seated. Wonderful to see you here this morning. Pray that everybody had a great Christmas, a great New Year. We're kind of getting back on the on track here with our schedule and everything. We're doing our study on Wednesday nights in, in 1 Timothy and just going through it verse by verse. It's been a great study. And uh, back at Sunday school, going through the Psalms. I appreciate Alberto studying and preparing and teaching this morning from God's Word. Uh, encourage you to be part of Sunday school if you're not. You're missing a great blessing. It would be great food for your uh, for your soul, for your spiritual man, to be fed that Word of God in Sunday school. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. I'm going to read starting in verse 8, and we'll read through verse 10. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. We're going to talk about this passage this morning. We're going to talk about when, when the scribes and Pharisees, particularly one of the Jewish lawyers, came up to Jesus and said, Master, what is the first and, and greatest commandment, first and great commandment? And the Lord says to, uh, to, to love the Lord your God. First and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And the second, this is the first and great commandment, is the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And he goes on to say that on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What does it mean to hang? It means just what you would picture if it was a tree and the fruit was hanging from that tree. That tree would be like love, first for God, second for men. Those other fruits don't go away. They're still there, but they're summed up. Basically, you could look at it this way, and we are to look at it this way, if we would love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and love our neighbor as ourself, we're not going to have to worry about coveting, or stealing, or murdering, or bearing false witness, or slandering a neighbor, because we love God first, we want to keep His commandments, and we love our neighbor as ourselves, and we want good for them. So it's a very simple thought, but all on these two, Jesus said, hang all the law and the prophets, all of it hangs there. It hangs there. Some people think it goes away in the New Testament. I believe it's fulfilled in Christ, and that same righteousness is in our hearts. And he's written his law not on tables of stone, but on fleshly tables of the heart, the laws of God. And it's summed up in loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. But back in Romans where he says, owe no man anything, we actually owe this to men for God's sake. We owe it to men to love them, to love our neighbor as ourselves. It is our God-given responsibility first to God and second to men. And all the other New Testament commandments, and there are many other New Testament commandments, not by which we're saved, but by uh, the righteousness of Christ that we walk in in this new life in Christ. We're saved by grace through faith. 
There are a lot of commandments in the New Testament we keep as believers, and we are to keep as believers, not in order to be saved, but because we're new in Christ and are saved and is, is glorifying to God. He calls us to do that. But we owe it to others to love them. Did you know that? It's not, well, if I'm really feeling uh, lovely or kind or gracious today, I'm going to express love and so forth. Really, the Bible says we owe it to others. We owe it to love people. For Christ's sake, we do. For Jesus' sake, we owe it. We are actually indebted to love. First of all, to love the Lord. And second of all, to love men who he created in his image. I'm going to read a few scriptures here. If you keep my commandments, Jesus said, in the chapter about abiding in Christ, right? I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. He goes on to say a few verses later, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Paul says, through the Holy Ghost in 1 Corinthians 8, that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Nothing wrong with knowledge. Knowledge can have the tendency to puff up, but love is not going to puff up. Love's going to edify and build up. Amen? And so I thank the Lord for that, and this is what we're called to do. We're called to love men with the love of God. It's not you mustering up some type of love, and I, again, I really feel this strong. Those, those feelings come and go. We know that. We've lived long enough to know that feelings of love come and go, even for those closest to us at times. But the love men, we owe it to them to love men with the love of God as servants of the Lord, as children of the King. We owe that to men. So what does it mean to owe? Owe no man anything but to love one another. Owe means under obligation. You and I are under obligation because God says so in his word to love men. Love the lovely, love the not so lovely, love, love uh, friends, neighbors, family, church members, enemies. We owe it. Uh, we're under obligation. So I'm going to finish this definition of owe. Under obligation means ought and should. People don't like to hear oughts and should. You should do this. People don't like to hear that because you're judging me. You're putting something on me. Well, I'm not putting on you or myself anything other than what God puts on me. There are lots of ought to's in the Bible and shoulds that we do as believers. Not to be saved, but because we are saved. We ought to love one another. Oh, man, no, nothing but to love men. Oh means under obligation. Ought, should, must, be bound Something owed or due, moral duty. It is our moral duty, according to God's word, to love one another. It's, it fulfills, love fulfills, love worketh no ill to his neighbor, verse 10. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Not love like men think of love and not world by the men's standard or definitions of love, but love according to God's standard is the fulfilling of the law. Fulfilling means the completion or what is put in to fill up. What is put in to fill it up? Love is put in to fill up the law. Love is put in to fill up the law. And so the law that God uh, has given to men, he required it and he fulfilled it. 
But God requires us to love men and praise God, he enables us to love men. We could not ever, there's so many things that are beyond us. That's why Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. He didn't say apart from me, you're going to struggle, but you might, some of you might be able to get by, make it. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We can't do the least of what the Lord requires of us as human beings created in his image. We can't do the least of those things without the Lord. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So God calls it. He requires us to owe that love to men and to love our neighbors and to love one another. And, and he enables us to do it. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that he enables us to do it? Jesus told his disciples in, in John 13, he says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's a pretty tall order, right? As I have loved you. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you have this type of love one for another. John writes later in 1 John, and this is the command, his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ. We start with faith in the Lord and, and love one another as he gave commandment. Jesus fulfilled the law. How many of you know that the Bible teaches us clearly that the law that was given in the Old Testament, that Old Testament law, Jesus perfectly satisfied it. He fulfilled it. He filled up what was lacking. No man ever did. When, when, Philip, when Stephen preached his one and only sermon that we know of before he was, at the end of which he was stoned and martyred for the Lord, he says that the law which none of your fathers kept, there's never been a human being that kept the law perfectly, but Jesus Christ. He did. He fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law, the righteous requirements of the law. There are righteous requirements of the law. And we as the redeemed of the Lord are now in Christ. Just stay with me. I'm trying to say how, how this is fulfilled and can be fulfilled through us. Okay? Christ fulfilled the law. By us giving our, putting our faith and trust solely and wholly in Jesus Christ to be our Savior, our Lord, our rock, our salvation, that righteousness of His is imputed to us. We didn't earn it. We are justified by faith in God. The Bible says what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, our flesh, human flesh, the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending forth his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law, now we're getting into it, that the righteousness of the law may be fulfilled in us who walk not after the, who believe in Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So that righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us. We are in Christ and we are now as born-again people. If you're saved here today, whether you know this or not, the Bible says that we are partakers of his divine nature. We are part, what is his nature? His very nature, the very essence, his being, the life of Christ in us. I'm a partaker of that nature, a partner, an associate is what that means. We're a partaker of his divine nature. We're partakers of the nature of the one who perfectly fulfilled the law. We're a partaker of that nature. And we're also ambassadors for Christ. 
So with that nature of Christ that fulfilled the law perfectly, you know good and well, and I know good and well about my own life, I haven't perfectly fulfilled the law. I've broken it every, every turn. I've broken it since I've been saved. But I'm redeemed by the blood of Jesus, and his righteousness is the only righteousness that is true righteousness that has been imputed to me, and I have been robed in it. That righteousness of the law as well is is fulfilled in me. How do I love my neighbor and love one another truly as Christ loved his disciples and loves the church today? It begins with a sincere, sincere love for God. I know it sounds simple, but it has to start there. If you and I set out to love others without first loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind, it'll never happen. It will be impossible. It would be impossible. Paul says in that love chapter that we always hear, love is patient, love is kind. It gets to the last verse of that chapter in 1 Corinthians. Now, and now abideth faith, hope, and charity or love. And the greatest of these is love. It is fulfilled when we have to love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. That is actually part of what is known as the Jewish or Hebrew Shema. I believe I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's, a, it's a, like a, a phrase. It would be like we would almost say the Apostles' Creed or something like that in that day. Hear, O Israel, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. That's part of what was, I'm not saying they did this. I'm not saying uh, that they fulfilled this. I'm saying it was right and it was given. And it, any love that we're going to have for other people begins first with a sincere faith in God and a love for the Lord. You don't try to divide up your love, nor should I, between uh, God and others and my wife and my children or my husband or my parents. We, it's not a division. We love the Lord with all of our heart, all of it. When the, when the Bible, that's a Jewish phrase, actually, or a saying, like we have little sayings. When they say to love with all your heart, they mean with your entire being. We're to love the Lord our God with all of our being, with all of our heart, soul, and mind. It has to start there. Any love that's ever going to come out of this life for you or for anybody else, a stranger, an enemy, a friend, a family, a church member, any love that's going to come back out of our lives that's genuine, that comes to them, has to start with a love for in me for the Lord first. A sincere love for the Lord above all. And it comes as a result of being born again, and we actually can love our neighbors as ourselves because the Lord loves them through us. That's why John the Baptist, for example, says, he must increase and I must decrease. It is more of him and less of me. It's an ongoing thing. Yes, we're crucified with Christ, and yet there's still ugly parts of our old Adamic nature, carnal nature that rear its ugly head, right, from time to time. And that needs to be brought to the cross and be not only the sin forgiven and washed in the blood of Jesus, but crucified with Christ. To their, that would bring death to that thing, and the Lord could fully live and love through me. Again, one cannot simply determine, set out, out of sheer willpower. I am determined because God says so to love my neighbor, and I'm going to do it. It has to start with my own personal relationship with Christ. 
my own love for him, my faith in him, my trust in him that he can actually do this through me. I need to believe him for that. I need to step out in faith like Peter stepped out of the boat and walked on water. It originates from the Lord. We can't set out by sheer willpower. I also say this, neither can it be done without our will. We need to consent. We need to believe. We need to yield. We need to yield to the Lord. Cannot be done without our will, yielded to the Lord. But it certainly cannot be done out of willpower. One has to first give themselves to God, be born of the Spirit, and trust in the Lord. Let me say this, whatever parades itself in this life, we see it, see it on TV or different areas of life. Whatever parades itself or masquerades or promotes itself as being love, which does not start or have in its heart or origin God as its own love, is not going to be real love. Whatever masquerades and shows itself as being love that does not start with a sincere love for God above all is not real love. It's something else masquerading as love. You know what the word pervert means? It means when something is perverted or a perversion, it means a twisting. So you take something that's good and right and true like love. We're talking about agape love here. The, the love that originates and has its source and origin in God and God alone. Period. It doesn't come from anywhere else. These two people really love each other. There is a phileo love. There are other types of love. But the love that we're talking about here, uh, men, have, men can pervert the truths of God. Satan can pervert it. They're seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and perversions. And I'm saying what the Word of God says. If, if a love parades itself as being love and it doesn't have Almighty God at the source and origin, at its very heart, that individual who's claiming to love so much is not born of the Spirit of God and loving God with all their hearts and souls and mind. Then whatever is coming out of them that they say is love is not true love. It's not true love, the type of love that we're talking about in Romans chapter 13 and in Matthew 22 about the greatest commandment and so forth. Our object of love, we have an object of love, just like we have an object of our faith. Object of our faith, we have someone we believe in. Jesus said to his disciples, you believe in God, believe also in me. I have an object of my faith. I have someone that I trust in. And our love also has an object. It is Christ. We love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind. Do you know what the Lord begins to do? He begins to give us. He does. It is a miracle. It is a working of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we're saved and walking with Christ day by day. He begins to give us a genuine, his heart and love for others. For church members, for strangers, for enemies, for family. He begins to give his love. We have to truly love the Lord first. And so in saying that, that means we're going to love his word. Doesn't mean we always perfectly keep it. But we're going to love his word. We're going to love his ways. We're going to be filled with this spirit. We're going to love the things of God first. First. This is not a humanitarian commandment. This is not a humanitarian effort. You see, we've seen that over the, the last few centuries. Big pushes for humanitarian works. And they leave Christ and God and truth and holiness and, and almighty God and his love 
out of the picture completely. And we're going to show what men can do and how we can love one another. Well, look at the world today. That's what you see, how men can love one another. Lying and stealing and cheating and, and uh, dishonesty, un unfaithfulness and uh, wickedness. It's, but it may, may relieve someone's conscience somewhat to go and say, well, we, we helped this group or we helped this person or I said some kind words or I gave a few dollars towards this. God alone loves perfectly. Would you agree with that? God alone loves perfectly. And God alone can produce such love in the hearts of his believers for others. God alone loves that way and God alone can love through me that way. He loves men through us. I want to read this from 1 John 4, 11 through 13. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought, there's that word again, ought, must, should, moral obligation. Yes, it's all in the Bible, okay? Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. Somebody would say, well, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe any of that stuff. I don't love God. I don't even believe there is a God, but I can love men just like you can. No, they can't. No, they cannot. Nor can I apart from the Lord. It is only God. It's a true love. It's a true love that originates from God. Well, we love people and we, we treat people with respect and so forth. It's their own, their own, they're setting themselves up as judge is what is what is right and what is wrong and how to treat people. God knows how to treat people. God can love people through us. We're not Christians and we, we love people. They don't really love, not with the agape love, which is selfless and perfect love. It's not. It's not that. They appear that way to some extent, but the Lord knows. Our loving one another, even within this body, our loving one another is biblical, and it's biblical evidence that we're born of God's Spirit. How so? Because we can't do it without the Lord. If we weren't born of God, we could, we could pretend love, but it wouldn't be true. It would be pretend. It's evidence. Our loving one another is evidence that we're born of the Spirit of Almighty God. This love, we read it in, in Romans in our first passage that we read 13 in verse 10 love worketh no ill to his neighbor therefore love is the fulfilling of the law what does it mean worketh no ill it means just what you would think this love of God in us and through us works no ill that means injurious evil bad worthless wicked harmful it works no God's love works none of that none of it zero not even shades of it and parts of it are half and half, good and bad. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. That's why he's saying it's a fulfillment of the law. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. It is a love of God that we keep his commandments and we're working no ill and we work no ill towards our neighbors. When, when Jesus, and I know this is husband and wife, but still in Ephesians 5, you've probably heard it at every wedding or many weddings you've been to. <coughs> 
about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now we're talking about God's love. Husbands love your wives. It's still two people. I know it's a special relationship, but still it's agape love. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And so the Bible tells us we're to love in the same way. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. If we're loving someone as ourselves, that's how we need to, that's God's love. No man ever hated his own flesh. Jesus, the, the word of God says, they nourish their own flesh. They cherish it. Like Christ cherishes the church. When we truly love others as Christ loved the church and gave him, himself for it, we won't wish nor bring any ill to them. We're not seeking to bring harm to them, and it won't work any harm or ill to them. This love that we're talking about, y'all, is no mere pretense. Very important that we understand this. The love of God, this agape love that we're speaking of, that we're commanding God requires from our lives, is not a pretense. It's not cheap. It's not shallow. It's not an outward show. It's not shallow, cheap, but it is in the heart of the redeemed, and it comes from the heart of the redeemed. This people that have been washed in the blood of Jesus and born of the Spirit of Almighty God. Part of the fruit and the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit is the first love, joy, peace. It's mentioned right off the bat, love. And so it's not, it's not a show. It is real, our love for others. And it comes from our hearts because the Lord first put it in our hearts. He worked it in us. It was not self-determination. It's the grace of God. It's the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. I want it. I desire it. I'm praying for that. And the Lord begins to work that in my heart and life. That fruit comes to fruition. The Lord puts it there. He works it. He produces it in our hearts. I love this scripture. If you, you probably know it, but in Romans 5, 5, it says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God, that is agape love, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost who lives in us and works in us. The love of God is shed abroad. You know what that means? The love of God, that love of God that I need to first love him and to love you and to love others. Where do I get it? How do I find it? How does it become real in me for God and for others by the Holy Spirit? The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. That means to pour out, to spill out, to gush forth. You think about it. Somebody's digging a well and all of a sudden they strike water or strike oil or whatever. And it, it is not trickling out. It's whatever holding it back is removed and it is gushing forth. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. I thank the Lord for that. I'm glad that scripture's there. I'm glad that truth is there. Loving our neighbor as ourself is much more than and other than saying, I love you. I praise God for saying I love you. We ought to tell people we love them. But it's more than that. Anyone can say that they love someone and have zero love in their heart or compassion for them. Right? 
We know it. God's love is actually evidenced in our lives by the way we live, by the way we love God. The Lord puts it in us and the Lord can increase it in us. Do you want more love? Do you want more love for others? I do. The Lord can increase that. He can make it gush out, shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. But the love of God, the true love of God that we're talking about is as evidence in our life. As evidence. It's not at all showy. It's not self-serving. It's not self-promoting. How many of you know that people that use love, and I'm not obviously it's not the biblical love, how many people use love or their perception of love for self-gain? To promote themselves or to advantage themselves in your life or in the lives of others in some way. People do it all the time. It's called hypocrisy. Okay? It's hypocrisy. This agape love is not showy. It's not self-serving or self-promoting. God recognizes it because God's the one who puts it there in our hearts. The Lord sees it and he knows if it's true or not. He knows how we love others. I want you to think about your own life, and I'm thinking about mine as well. The Lord knows how we love others in his name. The Lord knows if it's genuine and sincere, or is it uh, this is what pastors do to to get the congregation to follow them. So I'm going to act a certain way before you to get you to think I really love you and love God. The Lord knows. I'm not going to waste my time with that. You know what I'm saying? I, I stand and fall to one, and that's the Lord. And you do as well. The Lord knows if it's genuine. The Lord knows if, it, if it's real. He knows how we love others in his name. How, he knows, for example, how you, and I know there are people in this church that do love this way. He knows how we travail in prayer for others. To me, that's a great example or demonstration or evidence of this love. How do you travail in prayer for others? Listen, when the others you are praying for don't know about it, and in most cases don't care, but you sacrifice to pray for them, they don't know about it, they're not thanking you for it, and they could care less if you did pray for them. And yet you're praying for them. To me, that's a great demonstration of the love. You think you think God sees that? I know he does. Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Your Father which seeth in secret shall reward you openly. That to me is a great demonstration of love. It's not pretense. It's not self-promoting because you're really not getting anything out of it other than the rewards and blessings of God, which are everything. But nobody sees it. The Lord knows. If your love is demonstrated in this way in genuine sacrifice and benefit for others, others who have no idea maybe that you are sacrificing for them, and again, in many instances, don't even care. Not just in prayer, but you're sacrificing for them and their well-being. You know who I thought of when I was just studying and the Lord was giving me this word? I thought about Abraham in the Bible because I thought about Lot, his nephew, Lot was not a sinner committing the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, but he was a compromiser, okay? He was a righteous man. The Bible calls him that. 
He lived in Sodom in the midst of all the wickedness and sin. And God came down to destroy Sodom. And, and Lot was oblivious to it. Just oblivious to it. I say again, he didn't commit those sins. The Bible tells us he did not. But he certainly got comfortable in that worldliness and sin and wickedness. He made his home there and it was his own choice. A lot of sermons could be preached from that. But Abraham was not part of that. And God came and spoke to his friend Abraham. And the Lord says, shall I hide this thing from my, my friend Abraham? I know he's going to come in. He fears me and he's going to command his children to walk in my ways even after he's gone. And what does Abraham begin to do when he understands God's plans to go and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? It's the first thing he does. He begins to intercede for his nephew Lot. Lot has no idea. He has no idea the destruction that's about to come. He has no idea he has such an advocate and an intercessor and a friend and an uncle who loves him like Abraham. You understand the point? Sometimes we, we love, true love is going to be demonstrated like that. When the person who's the recipient of it doesn't give us the credit for it, doesn't even know we're doing it. In some instances, I'm sure Lot did care. Um, he didn't know about it, but he, I'm sure he cared about it. But we see him, that, that love demonstrated in sacrificial ways. And that's the true love of God. And your father who sees in secret. Oh, he knows the hours you're praying and weeping over your parents to be saved. They're stubborn and hard and they don't want to come to the Lord. They, have, they think you're messed up. And you're praying and weeping and fasting for them. The Lord sees it. Whether they come to Christ or not, he wants them to. He sees. You know what? That's love. That is biblical love. And they're never going to pat you on the back and say, maybe one day they'll be saved and their eyes will be open and they'll come and they'll thank you. Thank you for praying for me when I was running from God. Isn't that wonderful if somebody does that? But they might not. God sees. Your father who sees in secret is going to reward you openly. God is not unrighteous, the Bible says in Hebrews 6, to forget your labor of love. And that you have ministered to and do minister to the saints. He's not going to forget it. It's a labor of love that we serve God with that way. I'm going to bring this on to a close. But the love of God is real. It's powerful. And, I would, and it is without question unique to the God who is love. The love of God is real. This is not just some warm, fuzzy feeling in the clouds, okay? Some abstract thing that we just talk about that's not genuine. The love of God is real, is powerful, and it is unique to the God who is love. And that same love, that same God who is love abides in his followers. That same God who is love abides in you. If you've trusted Christ and in me, this love is displayed through our lives. There's evidence of it. There's proof of it. And it's evidence and proof of a life that's been changed by Christ. Talk is cheap. You heard that before? Everybody's heard that saying before. Talk is cheap. I say it all the time. Just about 
not everybody, but just about everybody you would talk to, just conveniently meeting somebody, a stranger talking to them, uh, you ask, are you a Christian? Just about, or you know the Lord. Almost everybody is going to say yes. 30 seconds before you ask them that question, they were cursing like a sailor. And they're, when they're finished talking to you, they're going to go off and do something else. But everybody says that they know the Lord. Where is the, where's the evidence? Where's the fruit? I'm not saying a Christian couldn't curse. I'm saying they couldn't live in cursing, though. And stay there. Talk is cheap. The love of God is not cheap. It's genuine. It's sacrificial. It's powerful. This God who is love dwells in us, and it, it's manifest and displayed through our lives in a genuine sacrifice for others, in a genuine concern for their well-being, and a genuine joy in their blessings, and a genuine sorrow in their pains. The Bible tells us that, right? Rejoice with them that rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Bear you know one of those burdens, it says in Galatians, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The love of God that we're to love our neighbors with and love God with is not mushy. It's not merely sentimental. It's not fake. It's godly. It's holy. It's biblical. It's Christ-like. It's like Jesus. I want to read this. Beloved, let us not love in word or in tongue. My brethren, let us not love in word or in tongue. That's how everybody loves. Love you, just thinking about you. That may be sin sincere and genuine. It may not be. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those words. But let us not love in tongue, word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. That's a difference. It's a big difference in the love of the world or what the world calls love and in biblical agape love. Deed here means, let, let us love in deed and in truth. Deed means definite acts. Purposeful, conscious acts of love. I am going to pray for that person. I'm going to take time out of my day and what I want to do, and I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to cook them a meal and bring it to them. They could care less about it. And they got all kinds of meals in their fridge, but I'm going to do it as an ambassador for Christ. Let us love indeed. That's definite acts and in truth. It actually means uh, genuine doctrine and profession and acts are our behavior. Let us love indeed and in truth. Now I'm going to bring this on. I know. Uh, to, to try to wrap this up, it's not the, not the fact that you and I always have feelings of love. I thank God for feelings. He gave us feelings, okay? But we're not to be governed by those, and we're not to love solely and strictly based on how we feel at the moment. Our feelings come and go. They do come and go, and I want them to come. I want them to stay, the good feelings, okay? And, and, and the Lord desires that as well but he tells us that the just shall live by faith and I can tell you we need to love by faith as well not by how we feel at a given moment the given moments come and go only the Lord can do this he only he can give us such a love for our brothers and sisters in Christ it's always by faith 
and God, love is going to display itself. It's going to have an object that it's showing love to. Jesus had compassion on who? The multitudes, for example. So he went and he fed the multitudes, or he went and taught them and gave them the words of life. To the mul- he had compassion. He had compassion on the man by, laying by the pool of Bethesda. Every time the angel would trouble the water, somebody got in there before him. So he sat there day after day, knew he couldn't get in there, be the first one in whenever it did happen. He loved him. He said, do you want to be healed? Yes. I don't have, he, first he says, I don't have anybody to put me in the water when it's troubled. He says, that's not what I'm asking you. Do you want to be healed? Yes. And the Lord heals him. He has compassion. Is an object of love and a demonstration of love. How is it displayed? How is our Christianity displayed? It's not the only way. But I'm reading from 6 Corinthians 6. Paul says, it's evidenced by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned. Unfeigned means unfake, basically. Sincere love is how our Christianity is demonstrated. Don't wait for the feelings. Begin to love with the love of the Lord by faith. To love in genuine, practical ways. Amen? We're to do good to all men, especially to them of the household of faith. So I'm going to close with this. And D, you can come up. But what do I do when, and we have to be honest with ourselves, y'all. There's no place in Christianity for being uh, not forthright to our own, with our own hearts before the Lord. He knows it, right? He already sees it all laid bare before him. What if you say, in your heart of hearts, you might think you're a pretty good person. Maybe you are. Maybe you're way f- farther along in love than somebody else. But we need to go before the Lord and confess to him and recognize that we're bankrupt when it comes to really loving this way as we should. Like we're bankrupt. We're, we're broke. We, we have nothing to offer and we come before the Lord, and God is able to shed that abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He can cause it to gush out and to come out. I'm going to close with this, this illustration. It's a true story. Many of you have heard of, everybody's heard of the Salvation Army. With a, now it's, it might be known more for their uh, you know, feeding the hungry and humanitarian type of efforts. The Salvation Army was started by William Booth and his wife uh, in the east, east end of London in 1865. And his thought was, he wrote later in a book or in some diaries, he says he was not able to be still or to be silent or to sit at home. He says, while women weep, while little children go hungry, while men go to prison in and out, while there is a poor lost girl upon the street, while there yet remains one dark soul without the light of God. He didn't mention love there one time, but his life was a demonstration of love. The Salvation Army, he, they basically hit the streets and they went to the, the ones that stank, stunk and nobody would talk to and that people stepped over and that were drunk and that lived in the alleyways and the orphans and the poor girls. And they went to those people that they passed every day. It started with him and his wife. 
and people were getting saved and people were joining them in the work and they, be, they became known as like soldiers in the salvation army of the Lord. Yes, they would, try, they would feed him and, and seek to help him and clothe them and so forth. His life was a long fight. He said of himself, my tempers are fitful, my passions are strong. He was rightly called a man of emotion, but he was not, it was not because he was bound or imprisoned by his emotions, because he, but because he was driven and impelled by love for the lonely and the lost. What motivated him? What compelled him? Well, I just can't stay home now. Because right outside my door down that alley, there's some people that are hurting and suffering and don't know Jesus. It wasn't a humanitarian effort. It was a gospel effort. And in the process, he demonstrated his love by feeding as he could and clothing people as he could. He was very emotional, but he, he says he was not governed by his emotions. He was driven by his love for God and for others. One thought, when William Booth died, he was 83 years old, August 20th, 1912, called him the general of the army. He laid down his sword, they said, at his funeral for the last time. His body lay in state for three days at the Congress Hall. While thousands of people filed past, some 35,000 people, this is before TV and internet and social media and letting people know, 30, some 35,000 people attended his service. And somebody was there, one of the reporters or somebody saying, why are you here? Why are there so many here? What did he do? And one of the men that he had reached out to that came to know Christ through his ministry said he loved us. Love is a very powerful thing when it's God's love. Not a worldly love, not a show, not a display, but genuine. He loved us. I want you all to stand with me. Word of God says, and the altars are open now. Word of God says in 1 Peter 1.22, Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Father, we just come before you. I, I know for, I'm going to be at this altar. Y'all, I need the Lord to, by his Holy Spirit, shed his love abroad in my heart for others. Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you that you're a God of love. You're not like any other so-called God. You're the one true living God. And you command us to love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And secondly, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Pray, God, that I pray that you would give us your love for others. Precious Lord and Savior. Don't let it be a self-effort, God. I pray it would be a miracle. It would be a working of the Holy Ghost producing such love in and through us, God, to others. It wouldn't be based on our feelings. It would be based for your glory. Would you love people through our lives, God? In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord.